This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. We're almost at Christmas, and my guest is the wonderful Carolina Milanese. Hi, Carol. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. There's not a lot of news this week, but some stuff touches on some technologies that you have been covering as an analyst, and I'd love to kind of get your take on it. It's always a weird time of year with CS this year being virtual coming up. It doesn't feel quite right. Like at the same time, there's a lot of stuff coming. We know that. Like, I think the schedules are going to change this year. Have you noticed that? I think that we're going to start seeing product launches in January and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, press conferences at five o'clock for us. (laughs) I'm not looking forward to it. Thank you, LG. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna go. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna keep an eye on what's going on after the fact. There, there's no way I'm doing a 5 a.m. press conference. That's ridiculous. But did you also notice how interesting that the press conferences are all 30 minutes because, right, they don't have product demos. They don't have probably people, hosts and guests walking on to the stage, and so you get down to the nitty gritty in 30 minutes and you're out. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's kind of nice. But I am completely at a loss to create a schedule for CS, even though, like, well, okay, there are two things here. Part of it is I don't really care because if I can't get hands-on, for me, that's, you know, right. unique content It was is what drives my CS, making yeah. videos. I always make a couple of podcasts because I meet with people on site. So I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do about that. But at the same time, I'm going to cover the news on the show. And But if I can't get YouTube content out of it, which I can't, uh, it's less of an exciting thing for me. So I'm Absolutely. less keen. And at the same time, nobody's, everybody's reaching out to me and telling me, hey, set up an appointment with, with us. And I'm like, uh, where do I start? Like, you know, like they're obviously like LG, a few things that we know when they're happening. Yeah. Like they were pushed upon us. And I like kind of like it when they push things upon us because that's how my whole schedule at CS is run. It's like the big important things I can't move happen. And then I fill the gaps, right? That's and now right. I have no gaps to fill. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting for sure. And also, you know, what, what this year will how this year will change the the CS to come, right? How different is going to be? Is it going to differ different at all? Or are people just going to go back to what used to be? Fascinating. Yeah. And then, you, you know, with Mobile Congress being supposedly pushed to June, I've actually heard rumors that they're not going to do Barcelona, that it's going to just be Shanghai this year. And I'm not sure that's true. Like, it's very possible and it would be disappointing, but Barcelona in June is sounds crazy because we're not yeah, gonna be able I don't to find think lodging. That's gonna right? happen. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a little bit of inside baseball for all you folks uh, on the show. But let's uh, talk about some stuff that's happened this week. ZTE or ZTE, you know, there's my Canadian coming out, um, launched <laughs> a while back the Axon 25G in China, and it is now available as a global or is coming soon as a global device. And so some of the YouTube creators in particular and other uh, media got their hands on a device to play with. And the the results are, yes, it does exactly what it says on the box. There's an in-display selfie camera, meaning it's under the screen. Now, Xiaomi and Oppo have shown this before. 
Um, but it was really interesting to me that ZTE or ZTE was the first to just come out with a product. And the, the, the general take is that, well, it works, and but it's like the, the selfie camera is pretty compromised in terms of performance, especially in terms of clarity. And you can clearly see like a little area of the screen looks slightly different when the pixels are fired up. So clearly this is a very much a first gen and a we were first coming out of the gate product. Oh yeah, it's bragging rights, right? <laughs> what do you think generally of, I mean, this product, but maybe ZT's strategy here and or more importantly, like where are we going with this? Do you think this is a, a viable thing? Is, is that what people want? I was thinking about this in terms of uh, audience, right? So from a technology perspective, there's no question that this is about uh, getting the brand noticed more and uh, uh, getting those bragging rights to be the first uh, to, to bring something to market. Uh, yeah. But then there's two, in my opinion, interesting points. One is the compromise that a solution like this brings to the camera and the, um, if you like, the plus side, if you are um, more of a content person and therefore, you know, aesthetically, you want to see the full screen, even if, to your point, um, the screen is still slightly compromised, uh, you know, because of, of being different to let the camera come through. But the other question is also the price point of the device, which is, which is fairly aggressive, right? Are people that are spending five, six hundred dollars, uh, which are normally people that are a little bit more careful about the spend, how they spend their money, they're not technology first. Do they really care about a technology like that? Or that is where you really want to position a high-end phone, which obviously high-end for ZTE versus Samsung or Apple is different, right? Yeah. It's trying to marry who your target market is with the features that matter. Because, you know, people that are um, more budget constrained want proof technology. They want technologies that make a difference to them, first of all, and then that they're not going to be disappointed by. And the camera is such, a, especially with selfies, is such a crucial part of the phone experience that I'm not quite sure that uh, people are going to jump on this device, um, thinking that they might have that compromise uh, when they're taking a selfie. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is definitely first gen. And again, like we want to be first out the gate. Snapdragon 765G, this is very much a mid-range of the prices around 600, 450 euros. I guess that's about maybe less than 600 US, 5, 550 US. Yeah. It's a very reasonably, reasonably priced phone, but that's par for the course for a 765G with an OLED display. I think that my feeling is the same as yours. I'm actually surprised we haven't seen better selfie cameras, even in flagships. Like I feel like, you know, back in the day, remember when HTC did the HTC One I, I think it was, or whatever it was called. It was an HTC phone on AT&T for the US market that had the exact same camera front and back. Oh, yes. And it had autofocus. Yes. And um, I think it was a little wider lens in the front or like there's slight differences, but overall they were similar and the sensors were identical. And I'm waiting for a Samsung or an Apple or a Huawei or Google even, although Google generally doesn't lead in this kind of stuff. They lead in terms of their software and their you know, know-how. Yeah, but they, it's more computational photography. They don't lead in terms of creating the new features. And when they do, they're generally very weird, like solely, right? But I think that if any of these three are listening, 
I think this is something we need. I think we need a flagship where the front camera is uncompromised. It's it's like a 12 megapixel autofocus, you know, like, and I know it's hard to do because obviously punch yeah. hole or hole punch has been the way lately. And then before that notch and Apple still at the notch and they're re- trying to reduce the size of the notch and putting a real camera there is not going to reduce the size of the notch. This brings us to obviously this under display, in display camera system. And I think, I think that that's the challenge. So I don't know. I feel like going forward, we're going to see more phones with this technology. There's going to be a, like, you know, in display fingerprint sensors, the optical ones that's right. came only two years ago and they're everywhere yeah. now and they're good now. And they're essentially cameras under the screen taking a photo of your fingerprint. Now there is Samsung uses ultrasonics like the Qualcomm technology and and we don't know what Apple's going to use on their next iPhone. We we hear strong rumors there'll be a fingerprint sensor somewhere on their iPhones because, you know, COVID is still going to be with us for a while. And yeah, so I think I think for me seeing the evolution of the under display or in display fingerprint sensor, I think this could evolve very rapidly to at least match a baseline of selfie camera performance. But right now it's definitely not there, right? Yeah, I agree with you. And I wonder also if you're thinking about multi-camera system at the, uh, you know, at, at the front of a screen, if that will help with uh, with that solution too, um, where maybe you're, you're able to keep the notch limited because one of your two cameras is under the screen. I don't know if it makes sense to have both or... Uh, you know, from a cost perspective, if you can do two, right. I'm not sure how much, you know, room it needs to be between the two cameras. But, you know, with with AR being more on people's radar going forward, um, I think that we're going to see more attention to that from facing camera than we had in the past. And, and uh, I, I agree with you, it is more complicated. And maybe you know, the rear camera, which is what people use the most anyhow, um, is where they focus because it was an easier sell than not trying. You know, there's a generational uh, gap as well, if you like, of who's using uh, selfie cameras uh, yeah, more yeah. than mm-hmm. than others. And so you you tend to do general market first and then go to, um, to focus on other solution. But I agree with you. I, I think it's just a matter of time. But again, I would stress that maybe going into that um, higher end device first will pay better dividend than not trying and and do, um, you know, a more mid-tier range device. I think what's going to be interesting is um, the computational photography aspects behind this technology. I don't think you'll ever be able to get the same optical and, you know, performance out of this setup right like because you have to go through a screen which is an array of pixels which are not not fully transparent so yeah of course it needs to happen it can only happen on oled just like in display fingerprint but i think that the the holy grail will be once you know google or huawei or apple develop algorithms that can fix what we're seeing in this camera if you go to the article that i put in the show notes here that's from the verge you can see uh, sam byford taking photos of himself and it's i hate to say this it's so cliche but it's night and day difference in quality between like a just a pixel 5 front-facing camera and a and the axon this uh, this this zte phone so i think that there's a lot of performance issues still need to be fixed and i think computational photography can fix it i think that this is the kind of stuff where and this is why i brought brought up google in my initial thing that is saying like i wish i wish one of those ford would really focus on the selfie camera because 
Well, if Google took their computational know-how and tried to fix this problem, I have a feeling they would do it pretty rapidly. So I think it's coming. I think I understand why they did a mid-ranger with this because it's not good enough to be in a flagship. To be, uh, right? yeah. And I also understand, as you said, like the notch and hole punch sizes need to stay small so the flagships can't focus on having the best selfie camera. But conversely, you know, like even a phone like the Razer 5G that finally has a decent main camera, that 48 megapixel yeah. with OIS. One of the better cameras that Moto has given us, honestly, le- lately. The nice thing is because it folds, you can take photos with the main camera. Absolutely. I, I was about to say, actually, that maybe one of the solution would be exactly. moving to foldable because that gives you more flexibility on using the main camera as a selfie camera. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, obviously... It'll be a while before foldable is a mass market. Yeah, totally. And I think alternative form factors, we're going to talk about more of them later in the show. I think those might be the solution in a way to this selfie. Like we might not need a selfie camera anymore or maybe just a secondary one like, you know, like the Galaxy Z Flip has. Like they have a camera in the front in the display and a hole punch just for video calls, just for the non-important stuff. But then if you want to take a selfie shot, you know you can do it with the main camera and it's just a much better experience uh, for everyone, especially the folks that I think it's not just younger people. I think a lot of people want good selfies now. And, and you know, I think that even flagships don't quite deliver there, in my opinion, compared to what's coming out of the main sensors these days. So but it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, the less important stuff like video calls, um, because actually this year that played a big role. And our da- data shows that there were people working from home that relied more on their phone because the camera on their phone was better than the camera on right. their PC. Yep, yep. So if you're not set up like we are, you know, with, with external cameras um, and you have a PC that is more than a couple of years old, you know you're going to struggle. And, and sure. a lot of people just went to their phones. I, I think what I meant by less important is that when you're just casually taking a quick call no, with I your phone. It. like I'm, I don't mean like if you sit down to take a conference call. A lot of people work remotely but don't have to be in video calls. Like a lot of people yes. work remotely and they're on Slack all day and every now and then they spend five minutes on a call. You know, we are seeing a lot of that as journalists and analysts because we are literally in briefings that are video yep. briefings for hours on end. And so, and you know, you're, you and I are talking heads on various video shows. And so we have to have a good audio and video setup, right? But I think for the average person, especially younger people you know who might be working in the service industry and still having to deal with going to work every day they just flip their phone open and do a FaceTime you know yeah and for that i think you can get away with a slightly lesser camera for a few minutes i mean ultimately i want every camera on every phone to be great <laughs> and we're going to talk about that in a minute don't with, we all with all the proliferation of cameras um OnePlus, they they showed us a concept like they did at CES in 2020, earlier this year, but they're kind of doing it ahead of CES uh, called the OnePlus 8T concept. And it is a color-changing device. The back panel changes colors based on... We're not quite sure what it's based on. Apparently, well, there's definitely a radar chip in there, like solely on Google, that detects your presence and can kind of adjust the color based on your proximity and whatever but it you know also i think they they're using other cues to change the color like you know i guess like a mood stone or something <laughs> Man, <laughs> but, I mean, uh, mine would be black uh, yeah, <laughs> for, right. for, for sure. 2020 <laughs> um, but it's interesting i look it's a total gimmick and you know i don't want to say this in a in a mean way but 
I think exploring new technologies, phones that you can personalize. You know, I worked with a company, a startup that's gone now, that did an e-ink case that mm. basically put an e-ink display on the back of your iPhone. So the case had an e-ink panel and you could basically customize the way the back of your phone looked. And yeah. of course, put information there like, you know, if your phone was about to die, you could paste the Google Maps directions on the back and you know you were going to make it to your destination and being able to plug in and charge. You could put your boarding passes back there if you flew and stuff. There's some cool things there. So I don't, I'm not against the innovation, but here it, like, it seems to be a single shape that just changes color not an actual display yeah um and so it's interesting to see that oneplus feels that this is like a, a thing you know <laughs> but at the same time i don't want to negate the experimentations that's happening i think that phones have been very boring for very long and they finally i think 2020 has finally shown us one of the good things that came out of it is form factors like they've matured folding phones are still expensive but they work now and you know there's still lots room for improvement right but I also think that, you know, the LG Wing was one of my favorite phones this this year. And it, it's gimmicky. There's no way I would recommend. In my conclusion, I said, do not buy this phone. But if you are like me and you're tech-savvy early adopter and you buy a new phone every six months, yes, buy this phone. Experience it. It's it's remarkable. It is fun. It is cool. It's different. People will be stunned when you flip it open in public. And yet the technology is used is super proven. That's why it was affordable, relatively right. speaking. And so I think... That makes gets me excited. Uh, Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile, has an entire YouTube series about when phones were fun, where he's looking at a retrospective of older phones with weird form factors. And so I can't be mad at OnePlus for doing this, but at the same time, like I don't ever think we're going to see a phone with this in the next, like anytime soon, right? But is is the balance between the value and um, kind of a return on investment? So you know. Nokia has done a lot of things back in the day, and and I've been talking to Michael about this because I had so I don't know if you I'm sure you do remember the lipstick phone. Yes, absolutely. Um, I I still have one of those in my cupboard. Oh my God. I have the that's the, wonderful. <laughs> one of the um La uh, L'Amour or La Fleur. I, I always confuse because one did uh, Nokia did I think Nokia did L'Amour, and then Samsung came out La with Fleur. La Fleur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, that had a suede back, uh, which was amazing for about five days. And right. then it would get as dirty Nasty. as... <laughs> yeah. So, you know, experimenting with the back of the phone um, more as an extension of who you are and really to show off because you as a user can't see the back, right? When <laughs> when you're using this thing, it's not like I'm going to see the, the um, OnePlus uh, back change color. And in a way, I thought about, and this is going to sound terrible, but you know when you buy uh, frozen yogurt and they give you the spoons that change color uh-huh. uh, because of a temperature, right? Yep, that they're yep. one color wearing it. That is like so cool. The first, the first five seconds, and then you get into eating your frozen yogurt, and the you know the you spoon is either in your mouth or in your so you don't see it. And I, and I feel kind of the same way. And I, I know that phones have been boring. I agree with you. I I also seen some really interesting stuff on glass that Corning has been experimenting with, just a way of rendering color different. 
but all has at the end of the day a cost impact and yeah. you need to weigh that with how much are consumers gonna be willing to pay to then put the damn thing in a case because <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. yeah. that's the yeah. other part right yeah totally you know i visited the corning labs there's some really cool stuff they're working on and I think that look, I I again I embrace the the experimentation here. I just, but that's also it's a concept. We can't be you know too judgy about that. It's just an interesting little side note. This is one of the cool things that I, that you know came in my inbox this week and yeah. that I got basically ahead of time under embargo and I thought was cool. But um, you know, speaking of more tangible like present day things. We have uh, some Snapdragon 888 performance benchmarks that were released by Qualcomm. Normally, they fly us all somewhere. Um, last year, we actually did the performance benchmarks in Hawaii as part of the Snapdragon Summit. In the past, they have flown us to the headquarters or met us in various cities to actually let us use uh, one of their developer devices to run our own benchmarks on so we can all have our own screenshots and our own data. But obviously with COVID, they couldn't do that. So they sent us videos showing them running the benchmarks, you know, like as legitimately as possible. And it, you know, seems pretty legit. And the performance is definitely there. I mean, it seems like uh, I, I'm, I've linked to the hot hardware um, uh, analysis because I'm not a huge benchmarking person even though i write for hot hardware most of their phone reviews and i have to do benchmarks so i'm actually learning from having to do reviews you know i i just feel like benchmarks as an engineer who worked in video games where performance is critical i feel like benchmarks are very important like we run performance analysis on the video games where that, that i was making back in the day and i was a part of that process so i understand the technology behind benchmarking and the need for it but i feel that for a phone for a device that's so personal that's so versatile that does so many things it's not so much about the numbers on paper as the experience and how it feels, how fast it feels, which is one of the reasons that one of my top five phones for the year is the OnePlus Nord because it felt no difference than a Snapdragon 865 phone, yet it was a Snapdragon 765 phone. It goes to show how optimizing software can go such a long way. So this just shows us that basically, you know, according to the folks at Hot Hardware, my, my editor Dave, they're apparently big gains. They're seeing some really big improvements, possibly more than the switch between 855 to 865. And that's good news. And I think, you know, honestly, I think it's needed because Apple's just been wiping the floor in terms of performance for, what, years now, it seems like. And it just feels like Qualcomm's playing catch up, right? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I'm not a benchmarking uh, person. And I also feel that um, they kind of, they're there more for us in the industry than they're there for your general consumer, right? So it's about us um, and how we use them to then inform uh, potential buyers. Uh, but with the phone, there are so many different uh, aspects and and uh, um, inputs and and just you know from an environment perspective how close you are to the network and you know what kind of things you're doing there's so many different variables right that make yeah. your experience that the benchmark sometimes goes out the window that said it is extremely encouraging to your point that um you know it doesn't feel like Qualcomm is, is playing catch up and and 
I feel that this is where we might see some of the conversation going into 2021 as far as, you know, the, the chipset world and uh, players and who's getting what, what chip in their phones, uh, especially in the high end. And if Qualcomm can position itself as the best experience in 5G, I think that will make a big difference for them, granted you know, it seems like competition is becoming less versus more in, in this area. Um, but I think it is, you need to think about beyond phones. Um, so if you started to think about AC PCs and, right. you know, connected uh, PCs, that is where, you know, this matters even more, especially now that we've had uh, Apple with the M1, M1 chip. Yeah. 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 We're going to have a conversation about how everybody's like weaponizing arm for their own purposes <laughs> i guess that's maybe a bit of a of a strong headline but i always come up with these weird headlines and i never like that's one of the things i love about writing for hot hardware is that they always have to tone me down because like some of my headlines are just like ridiculous um <laughs> but i do appreciate that that's what a good editor does so uh <laughs> I'm looking quickly at these benchmarks as we're speaking because I didn't actually really look at them. But the big takeaway for me here is that we're seeing a huge improvement, like a doubling in performance on ML, AI, so machine learning, anything that's basically requires the neural processing cores. And that's honestly what is the most and most like most needed these days. Like a lot of the photography stuff we do, like segmentation where it actually looks at the photos and says, I'm gonna process the leaves and the tree differently from the sky, differently from the face in this portrait. That's all done through like and analyzing the photo and using machine learning algorithms to figure out what's the face, what's the tree, what's the sky. That is where you need the oomph. And you know, a lot of that is done through specialized you know, basically processing units and in the same way as GPUs are specialized to graphics and CPUs are general general computing. And so obviously, you know, you can, when you run like a machine learning algorithm, you use a little bit of everything. You might use right. some GPUs, some CPUs, some, some of the neural core stuff. But I think the numbers here are like, wow, like we're going from, you know, like on the AI22, which is the AI benchmark from on we're going from like 130,000 or so points for 765 to uh, 450,000 for 865. Well, that's what we had this year in 2020. So it's right. a big jump from the 765 to the 865. And then we're going from there doubling up to nine, wow. 910-ish thousand. So it's it's that's the big jump. And I think for games, that's going to be the most noticeable at yeah. first. And then eventually, like I think the ability to run multiple cameras simultaneously, all that is in, something that Qualcomm has discussed thoroughly with the introduction of the 888. So I think this is all there. I mean, look, I think it's interesting. I, I feel like I'm not, I'm not going to like be ex super excited until I get myself a phone in my hand, but I like what I'm seeing, especially in light of what Apple has been doing, especially Apple with their neural cores. They're just killing it. Now, of course, it's hard to compare Apple and oranges <laughs> because, you know, uh, <laughs> Carolina is laughing at me there. Uh, because look the reality is apple's such an integrated ecosystem right Absolutely. like it, it's like that's part of why the m1 is such a 
killer chip. It's yeah. not just that the hardware is fast. It's like the way they integrated the RAM into it, the way the SSD subsystem is optimized because they have their own controller, the way, you know, the way the software takes advantage of it. The fact that you can have now, I've been struggling with my eight gigabytes Intel Max for the RAM and wanting to update to 16 and I have an eight gigabyte M1 and it wipes the floor in terms yeah. of the number of tabs. Like I feel like I suddenly have 16 gigs of RAM when I only have eight and and you're going to say, well, that's not possible, but it is because, you know, memory allocation is very inefficient on Intel chips. It always has been. When I was a developer making games, I was writing code simultaneously for PlayStation, Xbox, you know, and Nintendo. And always anything that was running Intel based chips was always struggling with memory allocation performance. Like, you know, like the original Xbox, for example, was an Intel-based system. Then they went to a PowerPC for the Xbox uh, 360, right? Like, they, they learned. They, they switched to a completely different architecture because they knew better, right? But I, I think this is exactly the, the biggest problem that Qualcomm has in terms of getting the um, recognition that they deserve is that they're dealing with a lot of different implementation of the technology that they have. So the experience on the same chip the experience that you are going to have on a OnePlus with the experience that you're going to have on a Samsung device can be quite different um, because there are variables, but also because not every not every vendor decides to take advantage of everything that right. comes yep. uh, you know, with the architecture and the, the system that they deliver on their chip. And, and I think that's what I find frustrating because there's so much goodness in, in the solutions that, um, that Qualcomm brings to market around cameras, around AI across the board. And not, the vendors just not take don't take advantage of that, either because they're trying to do something on top of it that is of, you know, their own. But to your point, even uh, just on the verticalization point, you also have to think about the different skins from a UI perspective, right, right that the that, that vendors put on top. That is something that is makes them all a bit different. So it's not even that you're talking about one Android. Um, and obviously, the other big thing on the Android ecosystem is the version of Android that these phones are running right. and what the chips get to be tested and optimized for versus what then is going to get into the market. That's a problem that Apple doesn't have, right? <laughs> Yep. And then there's the other problem that we had this year. You know, again, I only know this because at hard hardware, when I do a review, I have to do benchmarks that Android 11, every systematically benchmarks slower than Android 10 on the same hardware. So the, the Pixel 4a, which launched with Android 10, when it got its Android 11 update was slightly slow on benchmarks. It didn't feel worse. It didn't behave differently, but all of a sudden the benchmarks were telling us it's performing less. And we were all scratching our heads. And it turns out that, well, yeah, it, it's just the way the, the benchmarks are run and the way the software is optimized. It has nothing to do with the actual performance of the chip. It hasn't changed. Right. So, right. you know, that's like, that opens a can of worms. Of, of course, Apple could be subject to this as well from one version of iOS to another. So, but we've never seen that level of variability before. So, um, yeah. So Snapdragon 888 turns out that the first phone with it 
might be or you know very strongly rumored to launch on December 28th, December 29th. It's going to be the Xiaomi Mi 11 series. Uh, there's going to be a few phones, like usually they're going to be a Lite, a Pro, you know, maybe an Ultra. But we don't know anything much about them other than Xiaomi is going to be first out the gate and they're going to do it in 2020 somehow. Or at least announce it. I don't think we're going to see these phones in person for sale until later, especially since we're in the US. But the Mi 10 yeah. series last year was a pretty damn solid series. And I expect good things here. I think uh, Xiaomi's, you know, Xiaomi's always kind of uh, been one of the first to adopt Qualcomm chips. I have a couple of phones here with chips from Qualcomm in Xiaomi phones that are not yet even available on any other phone that came out in the fall. The Poco X3 NFC has a Snapdragon 732, which still is on no other phone that I know of. And that, that chip was announced, I don't know, early September or something. And then the Snapdragon 750, the 5G chip, that's a little mm-hmm. lesser than the 765. We've seen the um, Mi 10T Lite, which I also have, which has that chip in it. But we have yet to see a Snapdragon 768 chip device. That's one of the few chips that Qualcomm has announced. It's a 5G chip that's better than the 765. We haven't seen that chip on any phone yet. And Xiaomi's always seems to be the first out of the gate with anything. They were the first 720 chip out. It's crazy. So not surprising that they'll be the first with an 888, you know. It's quite interesting to see this shift towards Qualcomm. Not surprising from a, you know, from a quality perspective. It makes a lot of sense. But, you know, you start to think about how much is... uh, if you're specifically looking at Qualcomm versus MediaTek and how MediaTek was for a few years the the kind of a you know the golden child for mid-tier and Chinese vendors and right. those brands that were trying to get more volume, broader reach. Um, and now there is this shift towards um towards Qualcomm. And I think that is, you know, part of it is 5G. And, and obviously how much R&D spent Qualcomm has had there. Um, but I also think that part of, of the reason is what we were discussing earlier as far as camera and AI capabilities that, that Qualcomm has also spent a lot of time developing because it takes away from the effort that the, the brands themselves have to put into these devices. And this has, has become a much more critical part of the experience that consumers have. Um, and clearly, MediaTek is still doing well from, from a sales yeah. perspective. They are in a lot of other devices, um, you know, if you're thinking more broadly, and they basically control the Amazon uh, market space, right? Yeah, and that's a huge thing right now, right? So so there's not a question of quality, but I think it's just a question of focus and, and what Qualcomm was able to do. For sure, yeah. So uh, let's see what happens there. I, uh, I've been pretty excited to see, uh, you know, get my hands obviously on a flagship device again. I'm, there are two things that come out of this discussion for me. The first one is I'm hoping we see a 700 series update this year from Qualcomm because I feel that that's the chip of the year. And well, maybe the M1 is a chip of the year in my opinion, but the M1 is not a phone chip. So that's phone right. chip of the year to me is a Snapdragon 765G. I think that they nailed it with that chip. It is the perfect balance of everything you need, price, performance, 5G, battery life. You know, it's using seven nanometers, so it's actually a pretty efficient chip. All of that. I think they they killed it with that chip. Yeah, and, especially um, considering what it enables, right, from an experience and price totally. point perspective. 
it's made an entire new ecosystem of $500 phones possible yep. that just didn't exist. But related to that, I want to give kudos to MediaTek this year because for the first time, I feel they're hot on the heels of Qualcomm. I played with the LG Velvet for T-Mobile, which is a MediaTek 1000C, Dimensity 1000C, and that chip is better in uh, machine learning and AI performance than the 765G when you run benchmarks. It feels the same. It's a little slower in terms of everything else, but not by much. But the one chip that really surprised me in terms of like the feel of the device using it was the Realme 7 5G, which I recently reviewed. My review is finally up on hot hardware. Check it out. That phone is a 350 US dollar roughly phone if you convert it from abroad. And it is a 5G phone basically competes with the OnePlus N10 5G, and it beats it in every way. It's funny because it's both BBK group, yet Realme is just completely right. obliterating, in this case, obliterating the Snapdragon 690, right? And almost reaching 765G levels of performance with the Dimensity 800U. And with optimized software, this phone just flies, Carolina, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this felt like a Nord, like the original Nord, which is really yep. fast. And I was like... Why did OnePlus even make the N10 5G with all its compromises when, you know, its neighbor next door at Realme is completely like blowing it out the door with the uh, with this Realme 7 5G? And I think a lot of it has to do with MediaTek here because the price difference on that chip is probably what makes the price difference possible on this possible phone. Possible on the device, and they, yeah. And they were able to bump up the specs in other areas where it's better than the Nord N10 5G because of it. Right, so that's that's something to keep an eye. On. I think MediaTek's going to surprise us this year with possibly a chip that finally plays with the big boys. Well, the the question is going to be: Can they get into more of an LG than uh, in the US? Right, because right? we are so like I feel like a kid looking inside a candy store but not being allowed in, Correct. right? Because yeah. there's so much that is going on in Asia that we're never oh going to see in the US. Yep. That's why I'm reviewing a lot of uh, phones from Asia when I can, because even though, you know, like hot hardware's audience is US based, but still like people need to know what's, what's possible, what's out there, what's available, what's possible, what they're missing out on. Absolutely. And maybe it widens their horizons enough to say, you know what, like I'm in a urban center that has all the 4G bands and I don't need, I don't need the very specific 600 megahertz band on T-Mobile because I don't, I'm not living in a rural part. So I'm going to buy this phone because it really fits my needs. And right. maybe we see more adventure happening from the tech savvy folks that are maybe a little less tech savvy than, you know, the super hardcore audience I have here on the podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Another thing that came along to me, we're talking about like, you know, multiple cameras and machine learning and, you know, the importance of computational photography. Samsung leaks are coming left, right and center about the S21 series lately. The latest this week, and I don't, usually don't cover leaks too much until it becomes really obvious that this is coming very soon and that it's very baked, right? Like very close to what we're going to see. The latest is that um, there is a bunch of like full color images of the phones leaked of the at least s21 and the ultra the ultra though surprised everyone with six cameras i think five on the back one the front i'm not sure if the six in the back because i only see five but i mean again this doesn't surprise me too much in the sense that we've seen you know the ultra the note 20 ultra which has 
you know, f- at least four cameras in the back. Yeah. And they're good. Not like just adding some two megapixel macro stupid camera. Like I call them sticker cameras. Not just adding sticker cameras here, which the BBK group is very good at doing. But actually like genuine, bonafide, usable cameras. Obviously the flagships are n- never going to put sticker cameras on. They're going to, I think, going to have these cameras genuinely for a purpose because they can afford to put them in there and properly use them and leverage them. And with chips like the 888 and whatever new Exynos chip is coming, they're going to be able to actually like use them simultaneously or whatever. But do you think that we're going to see a balance, an equilibrium in terms of this madness of proliferation of cameras, especially at the mid-range? I'm a little concerned when I see phones that have two two megapixel completely useless two megapixel sensors that you're never going to use and sacrifice the cost of those versus putting a slightly better main sensor like the the pixel 4a is a perfect example single camera in the back but what a single camera it is right absolutely yeah i i totally agree with you i think that this is a discussion it's like going back to the beginning when we were talking about megapixels right and i feel that that megapixel discussion has become now a number of cameras and and the more is not necessarily the better right um there's a lot that you can do from from a software perspective from an ai perspective to deliver better shot. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it depends a little bit what kind of photographer you are, right? If you are somebody who cares about the shot versus taking the picture. And so if you maybe prefer to mess around with with the cameras that you have and spend time setting them up and, you know, and recognizing the difference between sticker cameras or not, (laughs) then the question becomes, you know, the the more could be the better. But most consumers are not like that. They care about the shot. And so the way that that shot is delivered, it doesn't necessarily depend on how many cameras you have. There's a mix between the camera, what kind of camera, and then the software side, right? So I think there's different ways of of delivering that better experience. Um, I also feel that, you know, aesthetically, more cameras don't make necessarily for a prettier phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, and then they also might end up compromising, um, you know, how sturdy these devices are in terms of, you know, if you have an area with more cameras together, if you drop right. it, mm-hmm. that, you know, that might be more of a liability. So there there are a lot of things to, to take into account, but I totally agree with you with the, you know, is the quality of the camera that you add. It's not just that you add another camera. Right. And I'm looking at this a little more while we were talking. I think that obviously one of the sensors is for depth. Uh, it sort yes. of like, looks like a laser autofocus, but more than laser, like actual like some sort of like um, time of flight sensor uh, setup. And that's, you know, obviously not a camera you can leverage directly, but you're going to benefit from it for things like depth and portraits and other yep. things like that. And of course, they're doing what uh, Huawei did on the P40 Pro Plus, which having two telephotos, a 3X and a 10X optical X's here. So 3X is a just a regular 3X telephoto and then the 10X is a folded lens like on the P40 Pro Plus. And honestly, I've been reviewing the P40 Pro Plus, well I've had it since July, but I finally I'm writing a review right now for Gear Diary. So stay tuned for that folks, but what I'm saying to you is that this is still my favorite camera phone of the year. Like it's to me it's a toss between the Note 20 Ultra 
which I feel has one of the best 5x periscope zooms ever. But you have a bit of a gap between that main sensor having to zoom in in, in software all the way to 5x before 5x can take yeah. over. And But the 5x is really solid. And so I think that filling the gap with a 3 in the middle like that and then having a 10x for real optical zoom madness is the way to go. And, you know, obviously Huawei was the first to do it. And I'm glad to see that Samsung's following suit. So don't let the six camera thing, you know, phase you too much. There's no, there's clearly not two cameras in the front or anything like that. And even the P40 Pro Plus that looks like it has two cameras in the front because there's an over cutout. That oh, second yes. camera in the front is actually, a, you know, face ID. Like it's like a time of flight uh, daughter rate, just like what Apple's using on face ID, face unlock. So, you know, that you can't use that sensor again. I think that the S20 series is a really solid, you know, obviously a really solid series, but I felt that the S20 Ultra missed the boat a bit. Too expensive, too bulky, too ugly. Camera's not 100% sorted, and but I feel that the Note 20 Ultra really fixed all that. And I'm really hoping that this year with the S21, they nail the S21. Like that, that the S21 Ultra comes out the door being the camera phone we look up to until Huawei does the P50, <laughs> at least, you know. And and of course, there's Apple. And, you know, The Verge declared the, the iPhone 12 Pro Max the best camera phone this year. And I think they're so completely wrong. Like, it's a great camera phone. The cameras on Apple phones are fantastic. But you cannot, with a 2.5x you know, optical zoom touch what Huawei and Samsung are doing with folded lenses. Like, like Apple needs a folded lens. It, it's interesting to me, though, that, that when you're looking at the technology in that way, it, you start to look at how many people take advantage of what. And I, I agree with you with where Samsung is, because I think that Samsung is kind of in between where Apple and where Huawei is, right? Yes. I think Huawei is starting to be too niche. I right. mean, it's a great experience, but I don't know how many people would be prepared you know, to spend the money and For see sure. the value, right? That doesn't mean that, that there's no reason to get excited. It, they do have an incredible... Um, technology that they they use for a long time. The other part, I think, is usability, right? And so is the UI around the camera and the features and how easy it is to find what you're looking for. And I think that that's where, you know, on the on the Apple side is all very simple to do. Samsung is getting better every year. I think that last year, their UI, camera UI, got way better than it used to be. I'm still struggling a little bit with with Huawei, and and um, I think the last one that I reviewed was the P30, so I'm way behind yeah, you. Yeah. So I don't know if there's been improvement there, but it's the combination of all of that, right? Is the technology, and then there's the usability of that function. Absolutely. No, I look. I I think Huawei's out of the of the game here in terms of for us. We don't have GMS now. We can't run our Google apps. It's it's right. But you know, as a mobile photographer, I have to look at it like. Just oh, the camera absolutely. stuff, right? But I think that that's why, to me, if if you had to tell me for 2020 what's the camera phone, 
if you're just looking at the cameras, it's the P40 Pro Plus. If you're looking at a whole well-rounded package, it's the Note 20 Ultra, no doubt about it. Like, yeah, that's my one of my two favorite phones for the year. The other one I think that competes well with the Note 20 Ultra is the Oppo Find X2 Pro. It has a phenomenal camera system and it's a very well-rounded phone, but of course it's Asia only and yeah. it has one Achilles heel, which I think this is where Samsung always nails things and the other manufacturers, especially BBK Group, always seem to struggle is no wireless charging. This is a $1,200 phone that doesn't have wireless charging. Yet, if they have wireless charging on the OnePlus 8 Pro and they have wireless charging on some other Oppo phones, it's, it's just like, it seems to me like BBK Group needs to wrap their heads around the fact that Samsung's putting wireless charging on everything that's $500 or more, basically. And they need to start doing that, too. Like, remove one of those stupid sticker cameras and give us wireless <laughs> charging. You know, like, you know, it's just crazy to me that they're not on board with that. But... um. We spoke about crazy form factors earlier and, you know, there's been lots of rumors that the next phone from LG as part of their Explorer program, which the LG Wing was a part of, the first initial phone, which is basically LG's attempt at, in a way, and I don't mean that in a negative, like I'm not trying to be snarky here, but LG's attempt at becoming more relevant again because and yeah. LG has a history of innovation. I love their products and I've been very bummed by the very ho-hum kind of you know, me too, you know, very generic phone right devices. With you. you know. And yeah. so seeing this Explorer project is exciting, which is why the LG wing was exciting. And there's this rumor for a while now of a rollable phone that basically can be pulled on each side to stretch into a bigger screen called the LG Slide, potentially named that. And there are more leaks today and rumors, uh, specs and pricing. You were looking at 2359 US dollars. And honestly, I'm not surprised. This is even yeah, way is more like complicated than, than a foldable. folding phone, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So what's your take on this? Like, I think this is going to be very first gen and tons of problems and they're going to just be able to do it to show that they can do it. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be viable. Like, I think the wing is a viable product. Some of it is gimmicky, but you can count on it as a solid phone. Yeah, but right? the wing, you know, you said earlier, it's like it was proven technology from a screen perspective, you know, from a display point of view, you weren't playing with something that was soft. Um, you had, you know, in a way, even if you think about We've been doing this job for a long time, right? Swivel phones that you had in the past yes, yes. Is, is very similar in consensus. It's just that before you had it between the keyboard and the screen because screens were more expensive 10 years ago, right? Right. Um, but the idea is, is no different, right? Correct. Here, you're talking about something that is going to have to be even softer than what you have in a foldable phone today. Mm-hmm. And we know how much care you need to use for yeah. those devices, right? Um, and and the things that you can't do with those devices as well, right? So from from using a, a pen exactly. to the yep. quality of the actual uh, picture and all of it. So I, yeah, this is another bragging rights for me moment. You know, it's great and and is you know they have a foldable TV, so it also kind of makes sense that they have a lot of technology that they can leverage. Uh, and is is for me is always exciting when you have a brand that looks broadly at their portfolio and leverage technology across devices and see the opportunity. But it's gonna be a while before this becomes viable at a price point that also is not niche. Yeah, no, I think for sure. I'm just excited about it because if they somehow are able to make this 
not as janky as the original fold was like like not come out with such a disastrous launch and actually come out with something that there's a lot of caveats and a lot of care needed but it works and it's there and it's a showcase because it, they're not unlike samsung who went like we're making the first folding phone and then they got their lunch eaten by uh at ces it was really funny um i think lg is possibly going to be able to say look this is part of this explorer project like people are immediately going to call that cut them slack for that oh absolutely immediately the optics are different right yeah and i think that so as long as this thing is in the completely like breaks in the first week like the original fold media devices did then i think i'm okay with 2359 it does this is not a phone people are gonna buy in mass ever yeah it's not it's not what you're gonna buy if you're looking for a phone yeah even the lg wing (laughs) is not a phone people are gonna buy because i told them not to right like (laughs) you know and they better listen (laughs) but the thing is lg i think it's like you know you build a halo car people buy the cheaper cars right and i think that's kind of where i think there is a lot to be said there if if lg can take all the money they make from televisions and washing machines and fridges and uh put that into the mobile division which is hurting and show us some halo devices it doesn't mean that the mobile division is going to become profitable but at least it puts them on a better position like if you look at the wing and you don't buy it because you're like that's too much money for me or you know too me gimmicky you're going to look at the velvet next because now you have the awareness of the lg brand and the velvet looks very similar in fact it's the exact same front screen other than the teardrop notch so you know you might end up with a velvet in your pocket and that's kudos to lg the only thing i'm a little worried with lg is that they're still not delivering the best they can in their bread and butter right like we're still i still want to see a real flagship from lg that competes with the s20 series or s21 i want to see a velvet that's a little more competitive like ois on the main lens lg is known for its photography chops they put ois on the lens of the wing because it's a thousand dollar phone but like why cut it out on the velvet which is your you kind of killer price point like 700 dollars price point right you know and yeah. i know they're not in a place where they make a lot of money and they're wanting to cut costs but the cutting costs is what's hurting them if they could have delivered the lg velvet with all its awesomeness with a slightly better camera system by doing little things like ois or whatever and and have a telephoto on there like which they somehow no longer have yeah. on their phones like this would have been competitive maybe with the s20 fan edition which is one of the most amazing for the money phone you can get yeah. this year so it'll be interesting to see i i think that they need a big cultural change in my opinion i think yeah. they're running the mobile division the same way that they run the the white goods division where you know making little compromises to get to a better price point uh, is actually an advantage right um, and and mobile is not the same unfortunately no, and i think they're also picking the wrong priorities like you know look at what samsung did to get to these s20 fe price point they put a plastic back on it i don't like it but i understand the compromise they didn't take out wireless charging they didn't take out the telephoto they didn't take out the ip rating you don't take what makes the experience but what they did was they knew everybody's going to put that phone in a case yeah and so at that point who cares if you have a plastic bag right like it does bother me but as i understand the compromise You're that's very the right demanding. compromise of course i'm demanding <laughs> understatement of the decade Microsoft is supposedly developing ARM chips of their own, just like Google is supposedly developing ARM chips of their own. That's the latest rumor that Microsoft is doing this. And honestly, after the 
crazy beating the M1 did to the Snapdragon 8CX version 2 and the uh, whatever that chip is, SQ1 version 2 or whatever from Microsoft. I can understand why, but I'm like, it seems like too little too late. To me, explain this to me as an analyst because Intel sold their X-Scale ARM division years ago, which we all knew at the time was a strategic mistake because the world was going to run on ARM. But I can understand that maybe back in those days when they were flush with cash, it didn't seem to make sense. But in the last at least three or four years, it's been very clear to me that if you are a chip maker of any kind, you need a solid ARM division, even if ARM isn't your mainstream. And so where is Intel there, first of all? and But more importantly, why can't Qualcomm deliver the level of performance we saw from Apple, at least purely on the chip level? I'm not talking right. about the integration here, which is clearly an advantage with Rosetta 2 and all that that Mac has. But just side-by-side benchmarks clearly show, and it's not just the software. I'm pretty sure Microsoft knows how to make software. So I'm, I'm like, why is it that Qualcomm is not, is it because they're mobile first? But Apple came from mobile first. Yeah, I I think it's more from from a Microsoft perspective, and and the reason why I think Qualcomm, I don't know if they're going to do it entirely on their own. I think that we're going to see a step where the collaboration with Qualcomm might be tighter, and so see where they go from there, and maybe eventually they're going to go and do it on their own. But I I think what is different is, as you said, one is the software and and the chipset integration one. But the other one that is extremely different in what people are expecting and prepared to put up with in the Windows environment versus a Mac environment. Uh, So I, I always stated that Apple actually getting into delivering their own chips for Mac was a good thing for Microsoft. And I know it seems like an oxymoron, but it's not. The reason is that, one, they need to figure out how to leverage the ecosystem that DM1 is going to enable from an app perspective. So, you know, the kind of things that we've seen in emulation emulation and uh, with Rosetta uh, 2, what are the learnings there that you can take on the Windows side so that when you get into an enterprise environment, you have a better experience. Because unfortunately, the problem, and I think that where you end up with, even if you think back at the reviews of the Surface X Pro, people compare that with a PC, right? right. So is oh, can I have the drivers here? Oh, can I do the printer? Oh, this really odd software that I used to do my expenses <laughs> doesn't you know, run right. Apple doesn't have that burden, right? In an enterprise environment. If you have a Mac, you're already a one, you know, kind of an odd one out in an enterprise mm-hmm. environment. And For you sure. worked out how you work, right? So I think that now we're at a point where because of how the penetration of mobile is within enterprise and people know how to support mobile, if you can make that PC running on ARM an extension of your mobile fleet or your phone, you know, smartphone fleet Mm -hmm. or tablet, you're changing the way that the IT is going to think about that. And so the question is, you know, you having something that looks like a PC running and and giving you an experience like your phone, 
versus comparing an Intel PC to an ARM-based PC. And I think that just that is going to get people to think differently at the opportunity. Yeah. I also think that silicon diversity is going to be one of the biggest trends in 2021. And so AMD also comes into that discussion. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I think for me, what's interesting here is that Microsoft is clearly not satisfied with Qualcomm. Like, I mean, I don't want to say that because Qualcomm has to have something under their belt that they can't talk about right now, because if they don't, that's a problem at this point. Like, you know, that's Intel is clearly going to be fading over the next five years as the primary chip makers for Windows PCs. Definitely going to be gone from the max, you know, and maybe AMD will take some of that. But I think that's not the only solution. I think ARM is shown its benefits with the M1. Absolutely. And anybody who's paying attention, which is probably why Microsoft is developing their own. But the fact that they're developing their own worries me because it means maybe Qualcomm doesn't have something in the roadmap, right? Remember when when They Apple- do have a history, though. I mean, if you're thinking about Xbox... Right. You know, they've done it before. They have, you know, collaborated so tightly True. with somebody uh, that yeah. you and might... And they did with the SQ1. They collaborated with Qualcomm, right? So, I mean, you know, again, MediaTek plays in here to some extent because they make some of the best Chromebook chips, right? And, and right. Chromebooks are important. Like, they are very important education. They're they're getting more and more important. They're yeah. yeah, and they're very good at just being web devices. And if anything, COVID in twenty twenty has shown us the importance of Chromebooks. I mean, nobody's laughing at Chromebooks after twenty twenty. I hope yep. because it, they've been the laughing stop. I've always been a believer from the cheap little two hundred and fifty dollar Lenovo whatever it is that uh, I have that runs a MediaTek chip that only has four gigs of RAM and always surprises me at how many tabs I can actually run on the thing you know it's a duet Chromebook duet from Lenovo and from that all the way to the Pixel books and the, right. you know, the fantastic Pixel Chromebooks that Google has given us yeah. so I'm a believer in the Chromebook but again I feel that MediaTek's doing some good work here in terms of bringing good compute performance to the masses that still doesn't feel too different than running Chrome on a PC. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, yeah. And that's that's a challenge uh, because Chrome is a pretty heavy-duty thing on, on Intel and uh, looks like it runs much better on ARM, ultimately. It's like now that there's an M1 version of Chrome for the Mac, Chrome is still a bit of a hog in terms of battery life, but it's so much better than yeah. it was on an Intel box. And that was actually one of the biggest criticism on the Surface Pro X. Um, you know, the the problem that Chrome was really draining your battery. Uh, but now also we have the updated version of the um, emulation for 64 bits on, right. on Finally. Surface. Yeah, yes. we, we covered that last week and I think that's going to help a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the other part, uh, you know, is also connectivity is going to be critical critical and yeah. and so that is where you know you're looking at arm and it's like of course um because i don't you know i've always been a big believer of connected pcs and uh, you know even this year when people were not traveling and it's not about traveling it's about making sure you have enough connectivity enough you know throughput um and uh, you know when you when you have uh, you know two people working from home a child um well yeah studying but it's more gaming to be honest with you that <laughs> drains my yes. my broadband uh, connectivity is, is key it's critical i think that one of the great positive stories out of 2020 for me is that 
the internet didn't break. I mean, yes. it's designed not to break, but it really didn't break. And we taxed the crap out of it this year. Yeah. Like, you think that we were kind to the internet? No. Like, I hear a lot <laughs> from my friends in IT how hard it has been for them to keep things up and running. But the fact that it's still up and running means that we're doing our jobs. And that's you know, a little positive note to end the year. Speaking of positive notes, what is your favorite phone of 2020? And maybe even you... Possibly your favorite tech product. It doesn't have to be a phone. Let, let me know what you what you have in store there. So one phone we talked about, it was the Note 20 Ultra. Um, yep. I think that is one of the best devices that Samsung has ever made. I agree. It was just, you know, from the camera to the improvement that they made on S Pen, it was just a really nice package altogether. And the other one is the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Um, okay. And uh, those to me have been the standout of, uh, of the year. On the mid-range side, um, the 4A uh, has been one of my favorite on, mm -hmm. on that yep. more price point. And then from a technology overall, um, I'm going to say something that it, you don't think about it as technology, but the company clearly has become a tech company and it's been my Peloton bike because uh, oh, I yeah. got to it late. Uh, I'm only uh, on my like 60th ride, um, but that has uh, given me a lot of sanity, um, making me work out every day and... Um, I even bought into part of the whole, you know, trainers and and uh, uh, community uh, cycle, which, which is really not me. But there's a lot of good stuff that they're doing from a from a community aspect that I really appreciate. Yeah, we were talking about that Theo and I yesterday. We were driving around and like how we feel like Peloton, just one of the brands and the products that really stole the show in 2020, just like Zoom, actually. Yes. And, and you know, there's others. For me, phones is really hard. I think my best, uh, my favorite affordable phone of 2020 is the Google Pixel 4a. I think in the $500 price point, my favorite is the OnePlus Nord, the mm -hmm. original. And then the 700 price point, 7750, is the Galaxy S20 Fan Edition which we discussed. And my favorite in the $1,000 price point is the OnePlus 8 Pro, which is my daily driver, which I feel is the first uncompromised flagship that OnePlus has delivered. The camera on that phone are underrated and understated. Nobody talks <laughs> about them, but they are it's phenomenal. Uh, and they're bespoke. Um, and then we have, I mean, bespoke within the BBK group. The, uh, the Fine X2 Pro shares the same uh, main sensor. And and ultra wide, and then at the top, I would say that my favorite phone is like you, the the Note Twenty Ultra uh, at the twelve hundred whatever it is. I mean, I know yeah. it's discounted a lot, but it's still a super expensive, and that's why I have to break it down into these price it's brackets true. because you know the the difference between that three hundred fifty dollar yeah. Pixel Four A and that twelve hundred or whatever dollar uh, Note Twenty Ultra is ultimately. Not that huge in day-to-day -day use, yes. except for the feature set, right? And the the quality of the experience is is pretty good on all of them. So that's kind of where I'm at in my favorites. My favorite camera phone, again, it's difficult because it's not really usable 100% as a phone, in my opinion, is the P40 Pro Plus. I think yeah. that it really pushes the envelope in terms of imaging. And as we're seeing in the S21 Ultra, leaks are showing that Samsung has adopted that approach with the Ultra. So, 
you know, I think 2021 is going to be a very interesting year in mobile, just like 2020 was. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to better coverage where I am for 5G and more cameras for sure. Yes, yes. Well, Carolina, we should wrap it up. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, your various social media handles and where you can be found with your articles? Sure. I am on Twitter at Caro, C-A-R-O underscore Milanesi, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. I write a column that is focused more on corporate social responsibility in tech and diversity and inclusion in tech for Forbes. Mm-hmm. And you can also find me on Tech P News with more kind of tech-centric uh, topics and on Fast Company. Yes, and you should definitely follow Carol on the Twitters and on her various writings. Good stuff. Folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on Twitter and on Instagram. It's like the comic book character Tankerl, but you drop the vowels. And Twitter is where you want to go to comment on the show. If you want to discuss the show with me, uh, ask me questions, whatever, this is a good uh, vehicle for it because podcasting doesn't really support commenting very well. Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures taken with phones and pretty pictures of the phones and it's not just phones all kinds of gadgets i like smartwatches. personal audio is another favorite of mine so you'll see a lot of that and then you know that there is a couple of youtube channels that go along with this podcast this is an audio show so if you want some video to go along with the audio experience want to see these phones we just talked about the unboxings and stuff i have videos youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast for the main channel youtube.com slash mobile tech more has additional stuff especially like gadgety things that don't really fit into my core stuff please subscribe we just created this channel pretty recently we need more subscribers And then, uh, you know, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So you can subscribe there through various links and RSS feed. But we're also on every major podcast app like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, lots of places. Please consider if your app lets you, uh, your podcast app, rate the show or review the show. It really helps other listeners who are kind of finding us through the the kind of uh, discovery methods. And then... If you can, there is a donate link in the show notes. The show notes are a collection of links to all the topics we discussed. And if you can support the podcast by making a donation, it's a PayPal link. It's pretty straightforward. Please consider that. And of course, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. They've been with us since the very beginning, and they are fantastic. If you love books as much as I do, and you want to get them read to you instead of reading them with your tired 2020 eyes, consider joining Audible. We have a special deal for you, 30-day free trial with a book you get to keep at the end, whether you stay or not, and you help the podcast no matter what. But you should consider looking at Audible and sticking around. It is a really great platform. They have a ton of books. I love how books are read by their authors oftentimes, like the Obama book right now is read by Barack Obama himself. Uh, It's very cool. And then, you know, uh, there's some of these books take like 10 hours of listening or something, and it's like an epic thing. You really feel immersed. You feel like, I'm going to take a break now and dive into this two hours of this 10-hour epic thing. And it really feels like you can... You know, like a good movie, um, get away from your troubles yes, for a moment. Especially and, uh, right now. <laughs> correct. Exactly. So I think, you know, check it out, click through, help yourself to that free trial. The link is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. Please consider clicking through, joining Audible, helping the podcast, helping Audible, who is a fantastic sponsor of us creators. So yeah, 
And uh, Carolina, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I always love your chats and the knowledge that you can keep in your brain with all <laughs> the price point, the specs and everything else and the love that you have for Aww. mobile. You've been doing this for so long, but it feels like you're still looking at it with, you know, with fresh eyes, which is which is nice. <laughs> You know, I just love it. And I don't remember everything. And I get a lot of it wrong. Like sometimes I'm editing the podcast. I'm like, I'm going to remove that. That was the wrong price. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I get it right. And if I don't, please let me know on Twitter, folks. Uh, we'll have another show next week, believe it or not. So stay tuned for that. Last show of 2020. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.